This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of sarcoidosis from the respiratory section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A previously healthy 30-year-old African-American woman has fatigue, arthralgia, and a nodular rash over the trunk and upper extremities for three weeks. There are 12 3-8-millimeter pale interrated plaques over the chest, back, and upper extremities. The liver is palpable 2 centimeters below the right costal margin with a percussion span of 14 centimeters, and the spleen tip is palpable 3 centimeters below the left costal margin. There is no pain or limitation of any of the joints. A chest radiograph shows bilateral lymphadenopathy. Now let's get into the topic. As a quick introduction, sarcoidosis is an idiopathic condition characterized by granulomatous inflammation of multiple organs. However, the lungs are the most commonly involved organ. It commonly causes restricted lung disease, however, may also cause an obstructive or mixed pattern. Sarcoidosis is mediated by CD4 T helper cells, which subsequently increases interferon gamma. The granulomas in sarcoidosis can affect all organ systems like the liver spleen, the bone, and or the heart. With respect to epidemiology, sarcoidosis is most common in black females. Know that smoking does not increase the risk of developing sarcoidosis and it presents most commonly in the third or fourth decade. Associated conditions with sarcoidosis is diabetes insipidus, which is granulomatous infiltration of the posterior pituitary. Moving on to the presentation of sarcoidosis, patients may be asymptomatic, and in fact, 50% of patients with sarcoidosis present with an incidental chest radiograph finding. However, if they do have symptoms, they may have cough, fever, and malaise, as well as arthritis, where symptoms are mainly in the ankle and legs. To remember the symptoms of sarcoidosis, remember that sarcoidosis can be grueling, G-R-U-E-L-I-N-G, where the G stands for granulomas, the R stands for rheumatoid arthritis, the U stands for uveitis, the E stands for erythema nodosum, the L stands for lymphadenopathy, the I stands for interstitial fibrosis, the N stands for negative TB, and the second G stands for gamma globulinemia. On physical exam, you may find skin lesions, specifically nodular granulomatous lesions, facial rash, and erythema nodosum, which is characterized by painful nodules and is also seen in rheumatic fever. Other findings on physical exam can include eye lesions, specifically uveitis, which manifests with decreased vision and glaucoma. You may also find enlarged salivary and lacrimal glands. In terms of evaluation for sarcoidosis, diagnosis is clinical and often one of exclusion. Chest radiographs may reveal bilateral hilar lymphadenopathy, and remember that the lungs are involved in 90% of the cases. Labs may reveal an increased serum angiotensin-converting enzyme, though not uniformly. You may also see hypercalcemia, secondary to an increase in 1-alpha-hydroxylase, which subsequently causes hypervitaminosis D. Remember that this can cause hypercalcemia and renal failure chronically. This is commonly tested, however, is less commonly seen, as it's only seen in about 11% of patients with sarcoidosis. Other findings include serum protein electrophoresis, which shows polyclonal gammopathy, and there may also be lack of response to CD4 T helper cell skin tests like PPD due to increased lung activity and decreased systemic activity. In terms of pulmonary function tests, a restrictive pattern is common, that is, a normal FEV1 to FVC ratio with normal total lung capacity. On pulmonary function tests in the setting of sarcoidosis, a restrictive pattern is common, that is a normal FEV1 to FVC ratio with a normal total lung capacity. However, as we previously mentioned, an obstructive or mixed pattern may also be seen. 
If a bronchoalveolar lavage is obtained in the setting of sarcoidosis, you may see a high CD4 to CD8 T-cell ratio. This is due to CD4 infiltrate into the interstitium as well as intraalveolar space. This is contrasted to the low ratio in hypersensitivity pneumonitis and HIV. Biopsy in the setting of sarcoidosis may reveal non-caseating granulomas with multinucleated giant cells. This is very suggestive of sarcoidosis. You may also see laminated calcium concretions that are present, which is the cause of density on chest x-ray. Treatment of sarcoidosis can be conservative and pharmacologic. As far as conservative management, observation is fine in most cases. The majority experience remission within two years without treatment. As far as pharmacologic management, topical is preferred when possible. That is for symptoms of the skin, eyes, nasal passages, and airway, etc. Other pharmacologic treatments include corticosteroids, and indications for pharmacologic therapy include extrapulmonary manifestations like cardiac, neurologic, or uveitis, symptomatic hepatosplenomegaly, significant hypercalcemia, and is usually only indicated if the patient is refractory to observation. Now let's end this review session talking about the prognosis of sarcoidosis. So there is a relapsing-slash-remitting course with 50% that resolves spontaneously. And in terms of progression of sarcoidosis, there are four stages. Stage 1 is characterized by bilateral hilar lymphadenopathy. Stage 2 is characterized with bilateral hilar lymphadenopathy plus upper lobe infiltrates. Stage 3 is characterized by lung infiltrates only. And stage 4 is characterized by lung fibrosis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 31-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with a two-week history of dry cough and shortness of breath on exertion. She says that she has also been feeling joint pain that has been increasing over time and is worse in the mornings. Finally, she has noticed painful swellings that have been appearing on her body over the last month. Her past medical history is significant for childhood asthma that does not require any current medications. She drinks socially and has smoked two packs per day since she was 16 years old. Physical exam reveals erythematous nodular lesions on her trunk and upper extremities. Serum protein electrophoresis shows polyclonal gammopathy. Which of the following would most likely also be seen in this patient? And the choices are 1. Acid-fast rods. 2. Antibodies to small nuclear ribonucleoproteins. 3. Golden brown fusiform rods. 4. Macrophages with black phagocytose particles. And 5. Non-caseating granulomas. The correct answer to this question is 5. Non-caseating granulomas. So this patient with dry cough, dyspnea on exertion, joint pain, and erythema nodosum who is found to have polyclonal gammopathy most likely has sarcoidosis. This disease would have non-caseating granulomas. To quickly review, sarcoidosis is an idiopathic condition characterized by granulomatous inflammation of multiple organs. This inflammation is mediated by CD4-positive helper T-cells and results in the production of non-caseating granulomas. Sarcoidosis most commonly involves the lungs, where it'll present with restrictive lung disease, including a dry cough and shortness of breath on exertion. However, the granulomas seen in this disease can affect all organ systems. It is most commonly seen in African-American females between 20 to 40 years old and does not appear to be associated with a history of smoking. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, acid-fast rods would be seen in tuberculosis. However, this patient does not have fever, weight loss, or other constitutional symptoms to suggest an ongoing infection. 
Answer 2, antibodies to small nuclear ribonucleoproteins would be seen in systemic lupus erythematosus, which could present with a rash and breathing difficulties. However, this disease tends to have a malar or discoid rash and does not present with polyclonal gammopathy. Answer 3, golden brown fusiform rods would be seen in asbestosis, which can present in patients with a long history of exposure to asbestos-rich environments such as shipbuilding, roofing, or plumbing. This patient has no history of exposure and is very young for such a disease to present. And finally, answer 4, macrophages with black phagocytose particles are classically seen in coal workers' pneumoconiosis. However, this patient does not have a history of exposure to coal dust. To leave you with a bullet summary, sarcoidosis will present with non-caseating granulomas on histology. And moving on to the final question, a 38-year-old African-American female presents to her primary care physician with uveitis, cough, and arthralgias in her ankles and legs. Blood work reveals elevated angiotensin-converting enzyme levels, and skin PPD testing shows no observable induration after 48 hours. The patient demonstrates reduced FEV1 and FBC upon spirometry. FEV1 to FVC ratio is 85%. Which of the following would you expect to see upon chest x-ray? And the choices are 1, enlarged hilar lymph nodes, 2, curly B lines, 3, bilateral diaphragmatic elevation, 4, pleural effusion, and 5, fluid in alveolar walls. The correct answer to this question is 1, enlarged hilar lymph nodes. So the clinical presentation is consistent with sarcoidosis. Enlarged hilar lymph nodes are commonly seen on chest radiographs of patients with sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis is a syndrome involving granuloma formation in multiple organs, namely the lungs, liver, spleen, and bones. It is most commonly found in African-American females and results in symptoms such as uveitis, cough, and arthralgias. Spirometry findings in these patients are consistent with restriction, though total lung capacity would need to be reduced to confirm restriction. Spirometry in sarcoidosis can also show obstruction or a mixed pattern. Park et al. review the common radiographic findings of sarcoidosis. They find that common radiologic findings include symmetric bilateral hilar and paratracheal lymphadenopathy with or without accompanying parenchymal abnormalities such as small nodules. In 25% to 30% of cases, the radiological findings are atypical and unfamiliar to most radiologists, which leads to difficulties in consistently making a correct diagnosis. Wu et al. review the clinical presentation, evaluation, and treatment of sarcoidosis. Diagnosis is based on clinical and imaging findings, histological evidence of non-caseating epithelioid granulomas, and exclusion of other granulomatous diseases. Prognosis depends on mode of onset, severity of disease, and host factors. Steroids remain the optimal treatment, but dosage and route of administration depend on the involved organs and severity. It is unknown if current treatment methods change the overall course of the disease. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, curly B lines are a sign of interstitial pulmonary edema. Answer 3, bilateral diaphragmatic elevation can be seen in obesity, which is characterized with low lung volumes from increased intra-abdominal girth and workload, or neuromuscular disease as well as other conditions would likely show restriction of spirometry, however it would not be expected in sarcoidosis. Answer 4, although pleural effusion resulting in fluid in the alveolar walls is a rare complication of sarcoidosis, it is much less common than enlarged hilar lymph nodes. And finally, answer 5, fluid in the alveolar walls typical of pulmonary edema is not commonly found in sarcoidosis. Rather, sarcoidosis can cause pulmonary arterial hypertension, which can result in right heart failure and peripheral edema. 
that's all for this review about sarcoidosis. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.